KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz, your new podcast host. It's Wednesday, June 15th. Explaining the science behind math anxiety. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The third January 6th committee hearing originally set for today has been postponed to tomorrow at 10 a.m. The panel scheduled seven hearings throughout June to discuss a months-long investigation of former President Donald Trump's fraud conspiracy claims and the insurrection on the Capitol on January 6th. The committee did explain why today's hearing was postponed. Oceanside is the latest city to ask its residents to be mindful of their water use. The city's move follows a state order urging cutbacks. The city is asking residents to water landscaping between 6 p.m. and 10 a.m. and no more than three times per week. To use sprinklers for no more than 10 minutes per station, fix leaks within 72 hours, and not use decorative fountains unless they use recirculated water. The San Diego City Council took the first step in revoking the People's Ordinance, which stops the city from charging for trash pickup for single-family households. The council voted yesterday to allow city staff to begin bargaining with labor unions about the possible change. The change would have to be approved by voters in November. The proposed ballot measure would not impose a fee, but instead would make changes to the existing ordinance to allow the city to consider other options, such as a pay-as-you-throw model. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Our public discourse is filled with stats. We are bombarded daily with numbers in the millions and billions, especially where money is involved. If those figures seem hard to comprehend or even imagine, it may be because humans did not evolve to count and multiply. KPBS science and technology reporter Thomas Fudge spoke with a cognitive scientist about our relationship with numbers. Sign on to any news website and you'll see them. The million-plus votes a winning candidate received. The billion-plus dollars found in some state or city's general fund. Those numbers can be hard to relate to, And there's a reason for that. We are a species that has been around on Earth for 250,000 years, and numbers have not been around that old. Rafael Nunez is a professor of cognitive science at UC San Diego. He says that while knowledge of numbers doesn't always rely on human literacy, it is a recent invention, and numbers beyond four or five are not even used by all humans on Earth today. Numbers can quickly become confusing, and saying, for instance, that a million Americans have died of COVID-19 doesn't mean much to the people who hear it. It becomes an abstraction 
And then the abstraction serves many purposes and, you know, for doing science, economics, and many things. But for really communicating, let's say, in a meaningful way, what the tragedy in the case of, of the sicknesses and, the, and COVID situation, to communicate the tragedy, the number itself, you know, doesn't provide that. Nunez calls the use of numbers exact quantification. Research by him and others show that humans and other mammals, like dogs and chimps, have evolved to discriminate between different quantities, between a lot and a little. But a study of Australian Aboriginal languages showed their numbers had an upper limit of between three and five. Without creating symbols that refer to precise numbers, we have no innate ability to count any higher than that. We have a biological apparatus you know, supported by very specific forms in our nervous system that is, has evolved biologically to discriminate these quantities. But discriminating quantities doesn't mean, first, language, and number two, it doesn't reflect the, the property of number. It's not a number. It's just a discrimination of quantity. And that inexact discrimination of quantities is something we do all the time. How many people were at that concert? Not many. Or we might say a lot, a ton. Or even you can use other resources like, for example, vowel extension and pitch. When you say many, 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 many. All those combinations apparently allow us to quantify in the natural world in a very effective way without having to have numbers. Nunez says the fact that we created a system of numbers based on multiples of 10 means that certain numbers become milestones. One million COVID deaths, for instance, that's 10 to the power of six. Dean Nelson is director of the journalism program at Point Loma Nazarene University. Both he and Nunez say the best way for humans to understand numbers is to illustrate them. When I was growing up, it used to be, you know, if you stacked a hundred million or a billion dollars, you know, in 20s or something like that, it would be the Empire State Building. I, I find those kinds of equivalents sort of pointless. I think you have to think about it more in purchasing power. Let's say, for instance, the cost of one fighter jet would pay the cost of a thousand person army battalion for five years. The responsibility for us in journalism is to take numbers that we actually need in order to understand how our society is working or how our, our city is working, take those numbers and put them in some kind of a narrative form so that they're comprehensible. Some scholars have argued our ability to distinguish quantities, a lot versus a little, means humans evolve to create and use numbers. Rafael Nunez disagrees. He says that's like saying our ability to walk and balance on two legs means we evolved to snowboard. But snowboarding requires training and a cultural underpinning, just like it does when we're using numbers. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. The San Diego County Board of Supervisors voted 3-2 to two yesterday to allow the county to sue gun makers for deadly shootings. KPBS's Alexander Wynn has more. Before the vote, County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher said California's gun laws have proven to protect residents. Authorizing the county to sue gun companies is another tool against gun violence. The measures that are put in place in California give us the seventh lowest gun violence death rate in the entire nation. Um, and so we know that there are things that can work and help and do good. 
Part of the new policy allowing lawsuits against gun makers include collecting data from local law enforcement agencies on gun seizures. These are guns taken from people who are not supposed to have them, such as convicted felons. Supervisors Jim Desmond and Joel Anderson supported obtaining gun seizure data, but they voted against suing gun companies. Alexander Wen, KPPS News. Work began this week on protected bike lanes in University Heights, and the project is causing friction between people who say they are a necessity and others who say they're bad for businesses because they take away parking spaces. But Will Radigan with Bike Coalition of San Diego County says 16 bicyclists were killed last year in the city, and once they're in, they will be worth it. The number one reason for putting a bikeway in is to save lives, and I think, again, no amount of parking spaces is worth someone's life. The project will continue through Balboa Park in the fall. Coming up next, high-tech high students attempt a 100-mile hike to learn some of what migrants experience when crossing the border. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. A group of San Diego high school students tried to bring awareness to asylum-seeking immigrants with an attempted 100-mile hike. Now they're back, and KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez tells us what happened. The dozen sophomores and a few freshmen from the original high-tech high school at Liberty Station left June 3rd to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. It starts in Campo and leads north all the way to the Canadian border. Their mission was to walk 100 miles with only supplies they could carry. It's a tribute to asylum-seeking immigrants who risk their lives doing it every day. Marley Shepard is one of the 10th grade hikers. We were able to do stops. We went along trails. They have to go off nothing. They are after shelter and they need to survive and live. And I need to see that through my trip in my eyes. The student hikers and their two teachers made it 77 miles just east of Julian before ending their attempt because of the extreme heat. There are plans to try again next year and raise money for the legal defense of asylum seekers. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. You may not know the name Tamara de Lempica, but you have probably seen her boldly iconic Art Deco paintings, which have been featured in more than one Madonna music video. 
La Jolla Playhouse presents the West Coast premiere of the new musical, Lempika, about the remarkable Polish painter who lived through two world wars. KPBS arts reporter Beth Alcomando speaks with the show's creators, playwright Carson Kreitzer and composer Matt Gold. Carson, how did you first get introduced to Tamara de Lempika and what was it about her that attracted you to doing this play? I'm a playwright who has pretty much spent her entire adult life looking into and illuminating stories of women I wish I had known about when I was growing up. And they are often sort of troublemakers, women who buck the system, and they are often women who get in trouble for not accepting the way things are supposed to be. And they are the women who make our lives today possible. And a friend of mine actually brought me Tamara Lampika and said, you, you gotta look at Tamara Lampika. you're gonna love her. She is one of your women. Uh, I got a Tashin art book with a bunch of her stuff and I recognized so many of the paintings. I just didn't know who she was. And then I started looking into her life story, which is just insane and phenomenal. And she is a powerhouse of a woman who was living at a time of great upheaval. I knew it should be a musical, but I didn't know how it should sound until I met Matt. And then I knew how it should sound. And I knew I had to make him write this musical with me. (laughs) So Matt, how did you get involved in this? And what was it about the project that really appealed to you? Carson and I had done a collaboration workshop at a place called New Dramatists in New York City. After the the workshop, Carson tackled me with that Tashin art book, (laughs) being like, this is a musical, we have to write this musical. And um, when Carson showed me those paintings, I just immediately heard music in my head. They're larger than life. They're at once totally real and totally stylized. They capture something about the, the very real nature of humanity, but also the ways that we sort of make ourselves. There's always a reason that you are drawn to a historical subject or that I am drawn to a historical subject at any rate and having written other plays taking place in different eras yeah you you really need to place it now to tap into what is vital and what is the beating heart of this story and it's not some dusty period piece it's not people you know clinking teacups and getting laced into whalebone corsets although that could be fun There's we should some actually yeah. we should add that <laughs> but it is the reason her life speaks to us is because there are things that reverberate so strongly with now and the things that she was fighting we are not done fighting, sadly, a hundred years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, in the course of working on the piece, it has felt connected to now in different ways. And I think that's the sign of a really alive and vital core of your story. And it just kept shifting what felt like, oh, this is, this is today. This is today. 
and uh, early on, um, she is uh, wealthy in Russia and gets married in a dress with a train that stretches from the altar to the church door in St. Petersburg right before the Bolshevik Revolution. So they lose everything and have to flee to Paris. And in an early rehearsal, we were, it was Occupy Wall Street. And we were talking to the Bolsheviks, like, you are the 99%. They are the 1%. <laughs> and it just kept shifting and attaching in different ways. And I'm afraid now feels like the most connected and vital moment for tomorrow's story that we have ever been in. And that's, uh, that's not, not necessarily a good thing yeah. because she lived two world wars. That was Beth Hakamondo speaking with Carson Kreitzer and Matt Gold. Lempika is now running at the La Jolla Playhouse through July 24th. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.